Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined by my sister Kay. We're going to have a spoiler-filled episode on Con Man Season 1. This was a, I guess, a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo? It was crowdfunded. Definitely crowdfunded. It's a series, kind of a comedy web series written by uh, Alan Tudyk, starring him and many of the people he's kind of worked with over the years, notably Nathan Fillion. I am writing it with him, I think, was PJ Harzma. I'm going to say that last name wrong. Um, but he had another writer working with him or that he went to mm-hmm. with the ideas. The basic concept, and we're going to spoil not only this whole thing, but some related material potentially, uh, particularly Firefly and Serenity. Because the the premise here is Alan Tudyk is playing Rain Nearly, who played the pilot on a short-lived sci-fi, beloved sci-fi show only really had half a season. Half a season, maybe a movie, um, but essentially kind of a riff on the experience he had on uh, Firefly, where, you know, the guy who played the captain went on to be a huge success, and this is all about kind of the convention-going experience and stuff like that, or at least that's how it was pitched. It was certainly pitched as the convention-going experiences, uh, definitely trying to capture the comedy and the funnier side of mm-hmm. what's happened. Um, the comedy I enjoy is comedy that doesn't poke fun at people or capitalize on people's discomfort. This had a lot of kind of awkward humor. Yeah. Of awkward situations and... Mistaking someone for being transgender. Or when he's at a comic book store, they're having a panel about you know, really bad racist stereotypes, and he's sitting there with two people who say, oh yeah, it totally offends me or whatever, and he's about to get asked by this little known work he'd done, you know, 10 years prior or whatever, where he was doing various racist stereotypes as, yeah. uh, for cartoons. And just kind of the, the, the oncoming train wreck aspect was yeah kind of the nature of the humor there. And it was, it was funny. But not the kind of humor I necessarily always gravitate towards. Well, and there were times when they hit the sense of humor I have dead on. Mm -hmm. You know, the not looking where he's going and accidentally running his rollerboard suitcase into someone. Not once, but twice. Mm -hmm. You know, the stepping into a TARDIS just for a moment of privacy and cracking the joke I expected it to be bigger. Yeah, there was definitely some funny lines and it was entertaining. Um, there were a lot of, of kind of cameos and guest stars. Definitely. And a lot of those cameos were bigger than I expected. Yeah. There were, um, Felicia Day had a great role. She did. That may be one of the best roles I've seen her in. Uh, Sean Astin was in it, uh, as himself. Uh, Sean, uh, Mayer from, um, Firefly, Firefly and Serenity was in it as himself. Uh, Summer Glau had a, a brief, uh, role as to Joss Whedon. Um, Gina Torres as the voice director. Yeah. And then um, uh, from Battlestar Galactica. Trisha Helfer. Trisha Helfer had a, a role. 
there was a cameo by I forget the actor's name, but he plays on Twelve Monkeys. Yes, I can't think of his name, but he plays Deacon, Deacon over there. Yeah, and he did a great job. Oh, excellent. Um, there was one person who uh, was the bartender every time there was a bartender anywhere, mm-hmm. and that turned out to be Casper uh, Van Dien, which I thought was entertaining. Um, so a lot of uh, you know, in some cases, quicker cameos; other cases, they're there for. Each of these episodes was about a five-minute thing, give or take. Mm. uh, Ten minutes, maybe? Well, the whole thing lasted about two hours, and it was about ten parts. Okay, I was thinking it was closer to 12, but you've... Okay, 15, 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, It felt like we saw the Con Man logo a lot. Yes, yes. So, they were short bits. It felt to me like each part was... Uh, a between the commercial breaks, if you will, or one act of a sitcom as opposed to an entire sitcom. That works, yeah. And about three parts of it came together to feel like a sitcom. Or for anyone old enough to remember Saturday morning cartoons, kind of one of those like super friend shorts that mm-hmm. you'd get two or three of during an hour. Yeah. The production value on this thing. Remarkable. They did an amazing job. You know, I was thinking at one point, This is kind of the epitome of something I wish we saw a lot more of, which is a what if five or more Hollywood types got together just as friends Mm -hmm. and said, hey, wouldn't it be fun if in our spare time we could make a fan film, but with our usual level of quality, etc. Imagine having a bunch of... of Hollywood actors, not the top stars, but the ones that are looking at all of their people they work with occasionally that have done the sci-fi stuff, have the convention circuit, have that fan base that they don't and they want. They could totally band together, get with a a good writer, a production company, and do this kind of a thing, like you said, on the side. Yeah. Because really, you know, all you would need is the equivalent of an hour and a half, two hour movie a year. Hell, if you did it a couple of times a year. Yeah. Uh, you could, I think you could do it for a reasonable amount of money. Certainly, I don't think they raised tons and tons of money for Con Man, although they, they did pretty well, actually. That, as I recall, um, surpassed its goal by quite a bit. Yeah, I'd have to look up the numbers. It certainly did well, and then it went to Amazon. Well, and what got me is it it was on the screen, the money they, they raised. Definitely, and that when was they one showed of the things the, I respect. The stuff on Spectrum. The, the ship looked, uh, the exterior shots and it flying around looked amazing. It kind of going into light speed warp or whatever it was was cool. Um, the, the special effects team outdid themselves. Yes. Even beyond just what they did uh, on the exterior of the ship, the interior and the special effects there, um, when they had a few things where they're showing, yeah, we didn't have this poster in the background at, at the right time, so... We just put the screen up there and, and we filled it in later. Mm. I'm like, I was watching that and I didn't notice any kind of compositing or anything. Yeah. So it was smoothly done. Um, I was, though, expecting a little bit more of kind of celebrity fan wacky interactions at a convention, a bit more time spent at conventions, whereas this was a lot more kind of the behind the scenes. What is this guy's life like 10 years after having been in that show? I looked it up. It was, if I'm reading this right, it had 
um, a pledged budget of around three million once the Indiegogo campaign concluded and nearly 47,000 backers. What was the initial target, though? Because it was way under 425,000. Yeah, I was going to say they they had a, a reasonable yet modest budget that they surpassed by just multiple times. Yeah, and it's uh, four narrative arcs, uh, episodes one through four. Five through seven, eight through ten, and eleven through thirteen. Okay. So, I was expecting more on the convention side. I was expecting more humor and more of the I I enjoy it and I laugh with it, not I I feel sorry for somebody kind of humor. I was expecting Ray to have a bit of a hard go because it's like he's not the successful one. He's pining for that success or whatever. But I was expecting a little bit more compare contrast. And we got that, I think, early on where, you know, he would be, you know, on the the video phone or whatever with his the, the, the captain co-star who's living it up in Hollywood mm-hmm. or wherever. Well, and they did touch on quite a few of the things that over the years, because we've been attending conventions for 25 and 30 mm-hmm. years, that we've become aware of the... Like, I know you had an experience, not a convention, but it's the, you realize a high profile person has just gone into a very small but public bathroom. And it's the, I'm not going to rush into that bathroom because I realize how small it is and that would be awkward. So I'm going to respectfully wait and let him vacate before going in. There comes a point where when you, when I see a celebrity in public, because I've seen them be it at conventions, I've seen one or two like in London, a few places where we've traveled and stuff. There's some people that just rush over them. Oh, can I get your autograph? Oh, I want a moment of your time. My mindset is just leave them alone. I mean, they're kind of quote unquote off duty, if you will. Yeah. Let them have a life. Let them enjoy it. Um, yeah. I've I've never really understood the the need some people have to kind of impose on these other people's time. And you know, it's um they they had a couple of scenes here where the guy was getting badgered for autographs in the men's room and stuff, and it's like, man, that is just so uncool and see and that's my reaction to it and i think that was meant to be a comedic point in the script but to me that was not funny yeah what actually would have been funny is I, and i've had this happen a time or two at con where the person is off uh, away from their signing table it's like they're done autograph you know mm-hmm. doing the autographs or whatever but it's like you know oh i, I recognize who that is they see that i recognize who they are and I've had one or two almost pull out the pen of, hey, would you like an autograph mm, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It's like, that's cool. Yeah. And what would have been funny in this context would be to have that moment. Yeah. And the person then just like look behind them and walk to the other, you know, yes. other person or it kind of a no, Ooh. they didn't want Ray's signature. And in fact, I've had an experience with a very well-known actor who was being interviewed by a television reporter and so a crowd of us had just kind of gathered around to be spectators on this interview Mm -hmm. and stuff and guidelines had been given out to everybody interviewing this actor beforehand he's here to talk about this piece of work yeah not their previous work etc etc so in the case of common it would be the equivalent of saying he's not here to talk about spectrum he's here to talk about the current whatever his current project is yeah right And so every time this reporter would go to talk about the equivalent of Spectrum, 
the actor would aware that the camera's now on the reporter and not him. He would gaze out at the crowd, smiling at us and just trying to distract himself from they're going into the territory I asked them not to. Yeah. And when he would get at me, I would just kind of raise my brows with the I know this is what you asked them not to do look on my face. And he would make funny faces at me for a moment. And then he would turn back and do the interview and stuff. And to well, me, and it was just fun. That was the, the thing we also never got in this that I was really expecting was the celebrity at the table getting the, the person just droning on and looking for that lifeline to kind of, I want to call a friend, you I'm going to talk to kind yes. of a thing. Well, and what got me was this actor, you know, wandered mm-hmm. with an entourage over to the booth where they were signing directly after that interview i kind of followed the entourage because i thought the signing was immediately after the interview and when they got to the booth they started corralling him into a private area Mm. and realizing my mistake i turned to leave well he happened to turn see that and tell the security guys no no go get her pull her back Mm. and he pulled me back and he asked me if i wanted autographs even though he had said he wasn't doing them I've found that if you treat the celebrities with respect mm-hmm. and not as just autograph monkeys, yeah, they they respond well to that. Yeah, he and I had great conversation, and it was just really nice. And it was one of those moments of mutual appreciation and mm-hmm. sort of stepping out of the convention, you know. And the well, the comment you made right before of reaching out for a lifeline. Uh, Hugh Jackman came to San Diego Comic-Con years ago, and at one point, he got up from the table, looked around, saw someone dressed up as a Wolverine, called them over, then went over to a volunteer and said, go out and find every Wolverine under the sails and tell them I want my picture taken with them. That's and cool. bring them forward. That, to me, is a celebrity that knows how to kind of pay back their fan base. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Those were the sort of things I was expecting to see more of. And I was happy with what we got. Well, and even if it hadn't been Alan Tudyk's character doing that, because we were seeing Sean Astin and other actors also there doing signings, etc., having even one of them do it would have been equally rewarding and valuable. One of the things that that I felt was awkward in this, and not necessarily for the reasons intended, was when he was doing the uh, the panel. He was being called out for having said at the party when he was drunk the previous night he didn't like sci-fi, that sort of stuff. And somebody asks, well, you know, what kind of movie would you like to do? And he, he quickly gauges the audience. They're all here for Spectrum. Yeah. So clearly, Spectrum is the answer. Yeah. And there's a certain pandering to the audience yeah. And it raised the question in my mind of, well, Alan Tudyk wrote this. Yeah. Does Alan Tudyk believe this? There is an element of how much of this is about himself. How much of this is about others he's seen while he's been on the convention circuit. There was at least one character in this that reminded me of two real life people I've seen on the convention circuit. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the slightly awkward, painful aspect of this to me is I'm too familiar with conventions in that respect. Yeah. Well, and the other reading is regardless of what the person wants to say, there's what the audience is willing to hear. 
And that was the part that disappointed me in a way. The what the audience is willing to hear. And I almost wanted him to say, why do I have to choose between which film I can do? Yeah. Why can't I do both? Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the things that this never touched on, it, it touched on one of my peeves with convention guests, and I compliment them for that, which is when uh, he's doing the FaceTiming mm -hmm. with Nathan's character. And he says, wait, you canceled on this convention and you're sitting by your pool at oh, home. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? And he says, oh, my assistant canceled. I don't know why they did that. You know, I've been aware of celebrities who have, quote, canceled for filming yes. conflicts. And I've happened to be next to the person at the booth when they're on the phone with that celebrity who's canceling. And they're saying, what do you mean you're golfing? Yeah. And once you've heard that, it's really hard to unhear it. The other thing I liked about that particular scene in here, though, mm -hmm. was he then takes the phone, puts it kind yes. of, you know, hey, go with me on this, and, and has, you know, Nathan's character talk to the audience Yeah, as he makes a run for it, essentially. Well, and that was doubly funny, because I'm pretty sure you were in the room with me when San Diego, uh, I want to say it was Christopher Judge, was up on a panel. At one point, somebody several people kept asking him questions and they all involved michael shanks also and finally he's like you know what i've got his number in my cell phone and i've got my cell phone right here i've been to a couple of panels where they kind of call the friend and yeah have them do part of the panel for them phone it in or whatever yeah well in this case he got frustrated because he calls up and michael shanks wife answered and he's like no if he's not there and he can't answer the phone let me leave a message and they say okay so he calls back and she answered again yeah <laughs> And he's laughing his head off into the mic going, what part of let me leave a message do you not understand? And it was so entertaining for the crowd of the whole, they're real people. Yeah. Well, and again, I was, uh, from the way it was pitched on the, the campaign page, I was expecting a bit more of, they go do the panel, they get asked the awkward question. You know, if you had to kill one of your castmates, which would it be? The, the sort of questions where there is no good answer and all you're going to do is cheese off your coworkers. Yes. And then how does he answer that? Cut to him back talking to somebody else. It's like, well, how am I going to answer that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's almost a, a, a potential of the evolution of the con guest and how they go from the, wow, I shouldn't have said that to the really good answer at the end kind yeah. of a thing. And I would have really enjoyed that. I mean, there was some good stuff of the con guest filming him in the bar saying something he shouldn't have said. It goes viral overnight and he loses a job. Mm -hmm. um, and some or stuff like that. says something you shouldn't have and the next night or next day everybody's asking about him at the panel. And, yeah. You know, there's, there's a certain um, accountability. Yeah. And an almost unfair, crazy accountability. Yeah. You know, in... At these conventions, um, somebody says something, gets overheard, and potentially literally can go viral or certainly impacts how other people think about them. Yeah. Well, we went to the convention up in Dallas, and uh, Haley Atwell was asked at the panel, how did she feel in, in the last Captain America movie about Captain America kissing uh, her great niece, her niece, um, mm -hmm. Agent 13. Yeah. That went viral within 48 hours, that answer. It doesn't surprise me. So many people these days 
And that actually would have been a funny thing to do is show the evolution of the convention circuit over time. Because even 10 years ago, and maybe I'm off on this, I'm trying to remember, I guess even then we would have had the cell phones, the cameras. But not to the degree we do now. And, you know, now that we're on this train of thought, I'm realizing, you know, Will Wheaton was in this. He had a cameo as a character. Yeah, very small cameo. Um, And I'm starting to realize that's kind of ironic in terms of one of the first celebrities I was aware of to give an answer at a convention Mm -hmm. that went viral and in a very heartwarming and positive way was a kid at a panel asked him something to the effect of, I'm being bullied at school. Mm. Can you give me advice? Well, and, and what a great person to ask that to because Will Wheaton was at one point essentially being bullied by just about the entire damn planet, it felt like. Yeah. And he has two uh, kids that he's helped raise and done a wonderful job with. And I mean, when you look at who he was 25 years ago versus who he has become, mm-hmm. he really has worked hard to become a much better person and be responsible in the answers he gives and the things he does and stuff. And he really did give a well-thought-out answer. And the parent happened to videotape it. At the time, I'm sure, intending for their kid to be able to watch it again, because in a very high-anxiety, intense moment like that, will the kid remember everything he says? But because it was such a good answer, the parent put it on YouTube and shared it out, and it went viral. And honestly, that's the kind of convention exchange, and like Bruce Greenwood with well, the how you deal with stage fright. Yeah, I mean, the, the I guess that was the sort of thing I was expecting to see a little bit more of, is almost get some snapshots from these different panels and stuff. You've got the guy who's trying to give the life lesson every time and failing, mm-hmm. and then you've got the people who just kind of do it because it just kind of came out. Yeah, well, and the thing about this character and the two... I guess I would say high quality moments that we had, neither of them were on the stage. Mm-hmm. One of them was backstage when he's telling the volunteer, you know, at my age, every missed opportunity is a failure, I think is how he phrased it. Well, it could be the last opportunity kind of a thing. Yeah. It's, these aren't coming by as often as they used to sort of a feeling. Yeah. It was a good moment. It, it was an excellent moment that I wished had been on stage because if he had explained to the audience yes. just a few minutes later, what he explained to that volunteer there of it's not that I hate sci-fi. It's as he explained to her, sci-fi doesn't get the awards. It doesn't get the recognition. It doesn't oh, it doesn't get as many viewers so people don't realize what i'm capable of what i thought worked is right after that exchange of i'm not getting the the positive feedback i need as as a an actor to go on kind of a thing Mm -hmm. he then goes up on stage gets a little bit of applause basically asks for a little bit more gets it and then comments on how rejuvenating that is it's kind of a that's the sort of feedback but the audience having not heard what came before doesn't understand that's a genuine moment and that he truly needed it yes well but it also underscores how the convention experience is fundamentally different for those of us going to the convention as attendees and those that are going there as kind of a job obligation or career obligation yeah and those who are worrying about 
I have to make X amount this while I'm here this weekend. Yeah. Otherwise, having come this weekend is not financially responsible or the appropriate decision to have made career-wise. Well, and that's part of why when I go to a convention, you know, I'm not looking to just throw money at anybody kind of a thing, but if there's something that's good, I'll, I'll pick it up. But what, why I also, if there is somebody whose work I've enjoyed for years, I tell them that. Yeah. The other good moment he had was actually in the swimming pool. When he told the assistant that the reason he mm. hated Spectrum was because it was good. It was the best thing he'd done, and he didn't want to go down as kind of the one-hit wonder. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to try and equal it and fall short. He didn't want to try and surpass it and fall short. And that's mm. why he didn't want to do a movie. He wanted it to stand on its own because of how good it was. Well, he also didn't want to be seen as going back to the one success he had. Yeah. And playing it out ad nauseum. Um, yeah. Versus, again, having other successes. Mm hmm And a, a lot of the convention celebrities we see, there are some that are at the top of their game right now. They are the, the star of their show and it's doing well. You know, the Stephen Amells, mm -hmm. uh, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, those types. Um, but then there are a lot of them that are that supporting cast member. Or that former supporting cast member. Mm -hmm. Or that former person from the show 20, 30 years ago. Well, and the sad thing to me is you look at something like that Dukes of Hazard reunion. Mm -hmm. And I refer to that as sad because everybody knows John Schneider has had multiple shows, has done multiple movies of the week, that kind of thing. It's not that the other two have had nothing since Dukes of mm -hmm. Hazard. It's that... What they've done since hasn't been as high profile or or on targeted par. to that audience. Exactly. I mean, John Snyder having played Jonathan Kent on Smallville for better part of a decade. Yeah. At a comic convention, guess what? A lot of people know that. Yeah. Versus Tom Wapat went on to Broadway. Yeah. And that is less likely to hit the Superman crowd. Well, and both had successful uh, country music careers. Yeah. Again, there's a subset of the audience that knows that and a larger subset that doesn't know or care. Yeah. I thought Alan Tudyk did an interesting job here, did a good job. It's a good production for Con Man. I was, again, expecting it to be a little bit more con-focused, a little bit less kind of behind-the-scenes soap opera, mm -hmm. you know, sort of thing. There were certain things that were just a little wacky for the sake of wacky. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't bad, but that's not the sort of thing that, that I look for out of, mm -hmm. out of material. Um, I really appreciate how many people he was able to get pull in to, to do their parts and stuff like that. Even if it was just a, a short thing like with Will Wheaton or, um, Jewel State. Jewel State. Jewel State had a, a, a great, she did. you know, few moments. Uh, I thought Michael Dorn's uh, role was, was fun. It was hilarious. I'm sorry. Um, he and the other guy on stage at that point, because of the art, their moments were hilarious. Yes. Yeah. You've got uh, Kevin Grievo, uh, who's done some comics, and I forget what he's really famous for. And then you've got, again, Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn, you see this this animated uh, image of a, a warrior king kind of a thing. And you get this kind of almost frilly voice or whatever. And then for, for the other guy's character, you get 
what looks like a, like a little dragon, almost like out of Pokemon or something. Purple and sparkly. Yeah, and this really deep, dark kind of a voice. Almost dwarf-like, which uh, I thought made it twice as yeah. funny. Um, almost something borderline out of a horror film kind of a thing. It was and it was intentional because Alan, you know, is in the middle of these two guys. He's hearing that voice. He's looking back to the screen, saying, "Wait, that was coming out of that." Wait a sec. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I did feel prior to that the voiceover work for the video game reminded me very much of the story Alan Tudyk had told in San Antonio a year or two back, mm. where he had been doing voiceover stuff with uh, Nathan and uh. uh Baldwin and those two guys were getting all the heroic stuff and he was kind of the let's go hide. Yeah. Which was one of the exact lines he got here. Yes. Kind of a your voice has a certain quality to it. <laughs> so I think that was personal experience. Yeah. For him. Um you know, it, it covered a lot of ground. It uh was entertaining, it was funny. Again, not the situational comedy I was expecting. And in some cases, not the kind of humor that that really totally clicks with me. But again, the production value was great. When I saw the uh, the stuff for Spectrum, that was fantastic. I'm like, man, I wish they'd just done that. Yes, and I can't help but wonder how much of season two will have that if they'll in season two film the movie. You know, it's funny because I've read the comic, and the art style was kind of between me and the story, if you know what I mean. It was it was not the sharp, clean kind of mm. artwork that works for me. It was a little bit harder for me to, to, to pull the story through that, if you yeah. will. But they've got some ideas. I think they know what they want to do there. And, you know, I almost wish they'd ditched the, the comedy side and just gone straight sci-fi. I mean, talk about, you know, own your own property. Build it from, from the ground up. And I really think, going back to our earlier comment a few moments ago about, you know, if a bunch of actors really want to get into the sci-fi thing, don't wait for somebody else to go build that property. Yeah. We're in a day and age where you can find a professional writer who really would want to do this and can do it well, put together your own production company. Maybe you go crowdfunding. Maybe you've got people who are doing enough regular series work as that supporting cast member, whatever, that you pool your resources and do it that way. Yeah. Own your own destiny. Yeah. You know, there's there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't. And then the sky's the limit as to where you go from there. Yeah. And again, uh, I think Alan Tudyk has, has really proven out the uh, the quality of uh, material that can come out of this. I mean, we'd seen the crowdfunded uh, Veronica Mars movie. Agree. There have been some other things of that sort that have just calling these things like a fan film or something. that That's totally wrong. These are just yeah. independent crowdfunded uh, uh, things, uh, productions that, depending who you get, the quality either is or isn't there. And mm -hmm. you can find the people who have the quality and, yeah. and get them at affordable rates. Well, right now, this is available through the Amazon video. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe Con HQ, the Comic-Con. Yes, I believe so. Video. And during San Diego Comic-Con, they're going to have some kind of uh, con... HQ slash con man um, panel or okay. something. So it definitely looks like there's going to be a season two and there are plans. And I'm very curious what comes next. Absolutely. I would definitely check out a, a second season. I'm glad I backed this. Uh, I thought it was fun. And while in some cases it does further 
perpetuate certain stereotypes about convention goers. But also about the celebrities. Yeah. It was it was fun, it was good, it was it was not poking fun at the experience in a malicious way. Um but it was certainly acknowledging there is some crazy to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh entertaining stuff. That's about all I got. You yeah, got anything I think else that, or does that pretty much do it? I think that covers it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>